That's a clown question, bro. Hi, what's up, Bunny? So I'm gonna kick some dirt. He gets on base. Just a bit outside. I'm not the type of player that's gonna be Johnny Hustle. If you don't want me to watch the ball, you can go get it out of the ocean. And welcome to the show to be named later where we're talking baseball, kind of whenever. I am your host, Christiana. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, uh, we got we only got a couple more shows, I believe, as a show to be named later. Is that correct? That is correct. Um, we've, uh, yeah, this is the second to last show to be named later, but that does not mean the show is over. It means uh, in 2021, we're... Later is coming. We're making a, a New Year's resolution early and we're going to accomplish it early. We're going to name the show. We are. We've been the show to be named later for a little over a year now. People have been asking us, when is later? Well, later is 2021. Yeah, about 15 months. That's uh, that's when that's when we named the show. And uh, finally, we will do it. It, <laughs> it legit, like, it legit took us uh, that long to get a better name than that. To be fair, it's not like we really made much effort. Like, we kind of just rolled with it for as long as this has been. And then one day you came to me, you're like, hey, I got a name. And I was like, all right, that works. Let's do it. Yeah. And it's a very good, it's a very, very good name, especially for our I like show. It. Yeah. Um, so if we are going to change it, it's, it's good that it, if we are going to name it, it's good that this is uh, this one. But yeah, this is our second to last show under the show to be named later. Wow. So, uh, enjoy, enjoy what that. What is this episode 79? 79. Yeah. Yes. That's, I, we're going to end off on a nice round number then. So that's good. Yes. Yes, Love that it. is true. Um, so, uh, you know, I was not expecting this much news to be happening around the holidays, but two very big deals went down, you know, one, yeah. one bigger than the other, but we'll, we'll start off chronologically with uh, Josh Bell, a 2019 All-Star, um, who has definitely uh, fell off kind of dramatically since then. Uh, first baseman for the Pirates was traded to the Nationals for uh, two, two top six prospects in the National system, although the Nationals farm system isn't that deep, so they are not uh, top 100 prospects in Major League Baseball. However, you know, they do seem to have a decent resume. Uh, but yeah, Josh Bell, and we kind of talked about the corner infield problem with the Nationals uh, a few weeks ago, uh, Josh Bell will be filling in at first base for the Nationals. Yeah, so Josh Bell, this happened on Christmas Eve, uh, right as right as people were wrapping their presents, uh, Nationals were getting a good one. Pirates, as on the other hand, um, I mean, I think this was expected. Like, they really have no direction right now. Um, this was probably the biggest trade asset that they had, even if even if his stock has never been lower than it is right now. Um, you know, you trade this guy. He came up as the top prospect in your system. Uh, had a really grand opening with a grand slam uh, in one of the first games that he played in. Uh, one thing that I'd like to note, uh, pretty recently and just over the course of his career, he's had noticeably like pretty good numbers uh, on the road, particularly last year. So I think that Pittsburgh was kind of just a big cause of his uh, of his fallout in 2020. Josh Bell played 29 games at home and slashed 180, 270, 270, 540. 
In 27 games at home, 115 plate appearances, he never recorded. The only extra base hits he recorded were home runs. There was two of them. Not very good. On the road, 274, 343, 463, 806. So he was noticeably better on the road than he was when he was playing in Pittsburgh. Uh, so I found that interesting. I'm glad for his sake that he's getting out of uh, of PNC Park because clearly that was just a plague to him. And uh, this has been a thing for most of his career too. Uh, in his career at home, he's a 246 batting average with a 767 OPS. And then his road uh, stats is a 275 average with a 859 OPS. So uh, one of the biggest questions is that if Josh Bell could change from a uh, could benefit from a change of scenery or not. I think it, it's pretty obvious. Yeah. Like he's hundred percent going to be better in 2021 than he has been over the past, uh, I guess, year and a half between the second half of 2019 and all of 2020. Um, yeah. Uh, PNC park is, I mean, I think it's sort of more of a pitcher's park. So uh, I guess, you know, maybe not that drastically, but it would make sense that uh, maybe he, would struggle at home, but yeah, uh, I guess it's, it is good to see him uh, out of there. Also something to consider. It's good to see him on a competitive team. Maybe he is, you know, one of those players where it's hard to produce when you're on a team that's fighting for the number one draft pick instead of a playoff spot. Um, So maybe that could be a change of scenery that's necessary for him, but you know, he's, you know, obviously he came up as a number one prospect or, uh, you know, like a top prospect in their system. So he's obviously has the potential, uh, when he hits the ball, he hits it hard. So obviously there's that it's just about, you know, the mental and, you know, I guess minor adjustments that you have to make that maybe the nationals can fix. Uh, so, you know, it, it should be a positive for the nationals. Um, the, two prospects that they traded off um eddie yeen is now number seven in the pirate system and uh, i'm trying to find the other guy that will crow will crow uh he he doesn't show up okay yeah will crow is uh 17th in the pirate system so i mean i don't know how much of an impact what are their expected terms of arrival Uh, what did you say? What are their ETAs? When do they come into the majors? Uh, Eddie Yeen. Okay, Eddie Yeen is 2023, so he will probably rise. So that's probably a guy that can build himself up and become a bigger name by the time he reaches the majors. Yeah, Will Crow, meanwhile, uh, estimated time of arrival is 2021. I'm pretty sure Will Crow's already pitched. Oh, yeah, and uh, he's also 26 right now. Eddie Eddie Yeen's a teenager. He's 19. Uh, wow. So yeah, Eddie Yeen is probably the headliner there um, in terms of the prospect load that the, that was brought back. Um, so he could he could um, he could possibly develop into a into a nice prospect, and you know maybe with uh, different general management they might uh, be able to develop him uh, in that system. But I'm looking at what MLB.com has uh you know looks at him as and says his fastball touches 97 and you know i guess i guess 
as he grows, he could still probably um, improve upon that. Maybe get, maybe top out near a hundred. Um, um, so Will Crow pitched eight and a third innings with the Nationals in 2020. Uh, did not go very well to say the least. Uh, he had an ERA of 11.88, but uh, you know he actually did get lucky. His FIP was 12.31, so. <laughs> Not a lot of success so far. Obviously, it's only the first eight innings of his career. That's not fair to judge by. Uh, he's going into his age 26 season, so I guess we'll have to see what happens there. Uh, the Pirates don't have a lot of depth in their rotation. Uh, I'm not sure if he was a starter or a reliever. Uh, oh, yeah, you know, he started three games, so that's probably a guy that, that they can slide into that like five spot in the rotation. They could probably hope, to, hope that something sticks, especially with Tyon coming back next year. Like, that's... Uh, you know, he's going to be hit or miss coming off of his second Tommy John surgery if he's even on the team. So you're going to need something to stick there. Yeah, that's true. And uh, the last in the last paragraph of um, the MLB.com prospects thing for Eddie Yeen, it says with his stuff, size and delivery, Yeen looks every bit, every bit the part of a future big league starter. Well, conditioning will be a major focus in the young right handers development going forward it looks like he has the requisite athleticism to make it all work. So, you know, they're, uh, they're kind of optimistic that he'll probably be a, maybe a two, three starter and, you know, with enough development, maybe yeah, could be like a one guy. I don't know. It's uh, hard to judge because he is a, he is a teenager and we're not, we're not really, you know, uh, big, big, people who like follow the farm system hardcore like we have a we have general knowledge but nothing nothing too crazy uh so just this overall this deal is hard to judge uh or at least to give bad judgments on other sides i think both teams did what they needed to do uh josh bell only has two years left of control and uh suffice to, suffice to say the pirates aren't going to be contending in the next two years so you might as well get them out at some point the only issue is that uh, you could say that they got him out at the wrong time. His stock was never lower. Uh, but, you know, the stock may never have been this high. So may never be that high again, I should say. So, you know, Josh Bell, uh, he's going on a team where he's going to be in a better position as far as contending-wise. He's going to be out of the ballpark that he's been suffering in. And he's going to be an upgrade for the Nationals over Eric Thames. He only had a, like a slow six OPS last year. Uh, at first base and then Josh Bell, you know, not that he was much better, but still going to be an upgrade. Yeah, that's very true. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a hope to see him get to that, you know, first half 2019 level. And even before that, you know, every, uh, every year of his career before uh, last year consisted of an OPS plus of 108 or better, uh, meaning 8% above league average or better so that's i guess something to be optimistic about but not definitely not on the best trend um and you know if, if anything is going to work out for the pirates it might be eddie yeen um i don't know he's a 19 year old guy don't really he, there's not really much to say about him quite yet um but yeah anything more on uh on this deal i'm looking at eddie yeen's uh page right here Obviously, he hasn't pitched since 2019. Uh, he, definitely, there's room for improvement as far as his minor league statistics, but that's hard to go by when he's a teenager. Uh, a 4-7 RA. Um, 
Yeah. Pretty good yeah. strikeout numbers, I guess. But other than that, uh, not too much uh, popping out here. But regardless, I mean, he's 19 years old and there's always potential there. So, yeah. And he hasn't pitched since he was 18, I believe. Yes. Um, you know, got signed, got signed in the, uh, got signed from the Dominican when he was probably 16, like a bunch of, yeah, like a bunch of players. Yeah. He was born on, he was born on June 25th, 2001. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, he last pitched when he was 18. Uh, last pitch, you know, in actual games. But yeah, uh, I guess that is the Josh Bell trade. Um, it's really a lot of speculation of, you know, what could be, uh, you know, what will be. Not really much to say about it, but a deal where we have a lot more. Um, a lot more of an idea of how things may go. Uh, so the Padres have been making deals and actually might be making another one, uh, according to some, some reports. high yeah. sources might be happening on the day of this recording. Um, if, if something does happen, we might have to hop on later and talk about it for 10, 15 minutes. I'll, I'll be checking Twitter throughout the show, just in case. Yeah. Uh, if, this, if that deal goes down... It's going to be insane for sure. But uh, Blake Snell, uh, first thing that happened uh, today, it happened about one, one o'clock this morning or something like that. Uh, it was like 1230 in the morning, something like that. Yeah. Blake Snell uh, was traded to the Padres for uh, a big, big time prospect haul. The Rays weren't, weren't giving him up easy at all uh Luis Patino going to the Rays also Francisco Mejia uh Cole Wilcox Blake Hunt uh and uh yeah Luis Patino is their number is the number three prospect in the Padres system that's correct because Mackenzie Gore and CJ Abrams yeah and uh Francisco Mejia is number seven and Cole Wilcox no 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 Francisco Mejia is not a prospect Oh, okay. Uh, Cole Wilcox is number seven, and Blake Hunt is number fourteen in the San Diego system. And you know that's no that's no slouch of a system. That's no. very good. That's a very good uh, farm system to be had. And yeah, I mean it's it could uh, either team could really win this. And I feel like a lot of people are leaning Rays so far in terms really? of who, who might win this one who might win this trade. See, the one thing that I'm very iffy about is Francisco Mejia. Uh, he's been in the league for three to four years now. He hasn't really shown much. He was a big name prospect coming up. I remember in 2016, I believe he had a 40 game hit streak in the minors, something like that. Uh, so a lot of people were really looking forward to him and he hasn't really panned out with Cleveland or with San Diego. Uh, and uh, maybe the Rays can fix him. Uh, that is certainly possible, but I think that's the week. That might be the weakest link out of the four, but certainly Luis Patino, that's the number 23 overall prospect, I believe, uh, according to MLB.com. So that's obviously a big deal. You don't see prospects of that caliber getting dealt uh, every day. Last, The last one I can think of is like uh, Yohan Moncada and Michael Kopech in the sale trade from years ago. Um, maybe I'm missing some, but I mean, those are the most highly touted prospects that I can think of in recent times. I don't know when uh when Cease and Jimenez got traded. How high? How highly regarded was like Dylan Cease? 
Oh, or, uh, Jimenez was probably above Cease at the time. Yeah, because like, see, I, I don't think Cease was on everyone's radar as much back in 2017. Uh, I know when Eloy came up, he was at like a top five prospect, but I don't know if he was that high when he got traded. Yeah, so, you know, in hindsight, maybe those two, but not, you know, at the time. Not at the time, certainly, but Patino is obviously a big deal. Um, he's going to Tampa Bay. And Cole Wilcox and Blake Hunts, uh, they're both pretty young, so uh, I guess we'll just we'll tell with time uh, what they pan out to be. But certainly Luis Patino is a big deal uh, in this trade. That was one that I was pretty surprised to see. But nonetheless, you are getting three years of Blake Snell. Uh, yeah. So, you know, Blake Snell doesn't need that much of an introduction. One, one 2018 Cy Young uh, did not have a great year was was kind of injured in 2019 and then definitely rebounded uh this year in 2020 had a 3.24 era pitched well in the playoffs um we all know how that ended but yeah and by uh, the way i think that had a lot to do with this this move because i don't know if you saw but um blake snell liked a tweet like immediately after the news was put out that said like and looks like the last image we'll ever have of Snell in a Rays uniform is him getting taken out. Yeah, that's game. true. Um, yeah, he did. Like I mean, too. obviously, there's a lot that probably ha- may have happened behind closed doors. We might never know that. Uh, Blake Snell is known to be one who's pretty outspoken, so maybe, maybe on a rainy day, uh, we'll hear some more details about that. But regardless, uh, it's San Diego. Can we expect them to make a run at the division here? Um. I mean, at this point, uh, I don't see, don't really see why not. I mean, like definitely a run. Um, I mean, they're they're definitely uh, a favorite to be in the playoffs for sure, and probably be if the Dodgers win the division, they'll probably be the best team to not win their division. Uh, and you know, depending on the playoff format, if it's a traditional, you know playoff format since whatever 2012 uh they'd probably you know they'd probably be a favorite to get like um the home the, wild card game the home wild card game yeah but you know i don't see why a run isn't possible it's just the dodgers are so good um, the only thing you can hope for is world series hangover yeah that because is true. like the, Do- the dodgers are the measuring stick in in baseball it's like well you're you think you're good well look at this team are you better than this team that's what the padres are up against for the next, you know, however long this window is, because a lot of their key players are, they have a lot of control over, you know, Snell's Snell's there until 2023, Clevenger until 2022, Manny Machado signed, what was it, a 10-year deal with them. Uh, Tatis, I believe, is four more years uh, pending an extension. Jake Cronenworth had his rookie year this year. Uh, a lot of these players that are on the Padres still have a lot of control. Uh, so they have a legit championship window for the next two to three years. But the Dodgers are going to be standing in the way. And it's a shame because if they were in any other division, they would be a lock right now. Like, if they were in the NL Central, like, that team is winning by 25 games. Yeah, they are. And, you know, we we talk about, like, you can only hope for World Series hangover. And also, this is the the year where a World Series hangover will be, like, the least, uh, like, a team is least affected by the by a playoff run because uh, they weren't allowed year. to. They weren't allowed to actually have the champagne celebrations. They weren't allowed to have a parade. Uh, 
there's a lot of factors that weren't necessarily in that World Series. And, you know, only a 60 game season. So they only ultimately ended up playing around 80 total as opposed to, you know, 180. So that's a, that's a factor for sure. But yeah, the Padres, um, you know, they had the second best record in the national league last year. And I mean, I kind of put them in terms of a parallel, I put them like up there with the Braves right now in terms of talent in the national league. Yeah. I mean, you know, so they're, you know, their rotation basically right now for 2021 looks like, uh, you know, Lamette, uh, Snell, um, maybe Davies, I guess. In Davies in pending if he, if he stays in a potential later trade, uh, Chris Paddock also in there and then Mackenzie Gore probably in there. Yeah. So it's a good rotation and definitely a good lineup. You know, we've talked about one of the best, one of the best infields in baseball, so yeah, they're extremely talented, and they have, you know, a, a good back end of the bullpen with Kirby Yates, Drew Pomeranz, um, and other, or actually Kirby Yates is free agent, I believe. He's a free agent, yeah, that's yeah. true. But also they got uh, Emilio Pagan back there, who Craig Stammen. Craig Stammen. Yeah, they have plenty of guys. Open up for them last year. Yeah, they have a good bullpen. Um, so yeah, very complete and. You know, I guess maybe their weakest point was starting pitching, especially with Mike Clevenger being out. Yeah, um, and Lamette being out for the playoffs too. Yeah, Lamette being out for the playoffs. But, you know, for next year, you got Lamette and Snell are uh, a, an extremely respectable one-two punch for sure. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, you're not going to have Clevenger because of his Tommy John surgery. But if you did, I mean, you're looking at three aces at the top of that rotation. Um, with, yeah, for sure. With Paddock you know, having the potential to be an ace and same with Gore. Yeah. We've been talking about, you know, Paddock for the past couple of years. I, I feel like at some point he will break out, but yeah, my question is, I, and, uh, my question is with Snell is, you know, the, the raise definitely, and you know, it was most evident in the playoffs, but the playoffs are the playoffs. Um, I'm wondering if, and the Rays were, you know, sort of um, careful with, with Blake Snell. Blake Snell did not pitch six-plus innings in any game in, in 2020. I'm wondering if the Padres will have the – will be willing to extend him more and, and let him let him pitch more, you know, let him get, out, get in these situations and, you know, maybe go six, seven-plus. And uh, to that I – okay. Like the Rays. And to that, I say, look at what they did uh, in the National League Division Series against the Dodgers, right? You had Mike Clevenger out there saying, hey, I'm uh, when he had been injured. And obviously, it didn't work out for them. But regardless, they let their own guy decide for them. And Blake Snell is going to be that guy, too. Blake Snell is going to be that guy that says, yeah, give me the ball. Let me go seven. Let me go eight. Let me even finish the game. Like, so... I do think that they will extend him under Snell's own will. And uh, Blake Snell is certainly going to be willing to put himself back out on that mound for the seventh, eighth inning and beyond. Yeah. And I think, you know, the Rays can, could do that with Snell because their bullpen was so deep, especially last year Mm -hmm. with, you know, Fairbanks, Castillo, uh, Nick Anderson, all those guys. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's kind of the last point I had with Blake Snell. Most people know, 
how good he, he really is and how good he can be. Uh, do we want to move on to the second uh, addition the Padres made today? I want to look at this from the Rays perspective for a little bit, and then we'll talk about that. Yeah. So uh, the Rays are going to be losing two of their, th- two of their key starting pitching uh, assets from the last couple of years. They already lost Charlie Morton to the Braves in free agency. Now they're losing Blake Snell to a trade. Uh, you need Tyler to gla- glass now to perform more than you ever have before. But Chris, like, how do you see them rebounding from this? Because they've already signed Michael Waka, which I mean, for what, for whatever it's worth, I mean, it's not, it's not anywhere near those two, but uh, well, how do you expect them to, to replace those two guys? Well, um, you know, I don't think this guy's on Snell's level necessarily, but Yanni Chirinos was out for the entire year last year. He will be coming back. He had a good year in 2019. I'm trying to see uh, what his exact numbers were, but he was a very respectable uh, back half of the rotation kind of guy. Yeah, Chirinos had a uh, 3.85 ERA in uh, 133 and a third innings for the Rays in 2019 and a 115 ERA plus for uh, a strikeout to walk ratio of more than four um, had a bit of a home run problem, but yeah, I mean, glass now definitely has to take the step up. Um, We've talked about glass now a little bit in, you know, he didn't have the greatest ERA last year. His expected ERA was actually a lot lower. Um, He struggled in the playoffs, but he's, he should be reliable for, an entire 162 game season as long as long as it doesn't get injured um so i guess that's a a decent number one to have but yeah that that depth is missing because right now i'm thinking it's what glass now chirinos and i'm not sure but it it definitely puts the rays a step back i mean i guess maybe they could put patino in the starting role immediately um i guess they don't know if he's gonna be ready for it immediately yeah they don't they don't know that for sure, um, but for it's it's a step back for the Rays currently. Um, in a four-year stretch, maybe they could uh, they could possibly win this trade um, ultimately. But and you know they're historically good with trades, but for a 2021 um, setting, I think I was saying I was saying earlier that maybe the Rays could have won this trade, but in a 2021. Um, you know, uh, scale. You're not winning uh, it next year. You're not winning it for the, yeah. for the next year. If they win this trade, it will be, you know, it will be shown over a, you know, four or five year stretch, uh, most likely. But yeah, losing Snell, losing Morton, I, you know, I guess Morton was getting a little older anyway. But yeah, you know, you're losing a guy who's, you know, probably entering the prime of his career. Um, it might have been a, a thing with, with him and the team. And I mean, I guess, I don't know. He's making $11 million a year, which for the Rays might be uh, a lot. But, you know, the Rays should be able to rebound like they usually do, but it definitely will make things harder for them, no doubt. It, it's definitely, if they go into the playoffs next year, you're looking at a three man rotation of, I guess, Tyler Glasnow, Yanni Chirinos, and Ryan Yarbrough, which is not nearly as encouraging as what you before. Yeah, for, yeah sure. for sure. Like, if but there I was a Yankees they... rematch, I'd feel a lot better about it this time around if I was New York. Yeah, because we were, we did talk about, like, 
how if the Yankees lose DJ LeMahieu, how how that how that would affect their chances at the at the division. Well, you know, it it's it helped. It's definitely helped by uh, Blake Snell going to the Padres, um, getting out of that out of that division uh, for sure. And uh, I was thinking, what was the last thing I was going to say? I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, Patino maybe could could be a starter. Who knows? But uh, but yeah, I mean. It does. It definitely. It definitely changes things, and I guess maybe the Rays could make more moves throughout the off season. You know, it is, it is. You know, especially for this off season, early in the off season, not a lot of, not a lot of moves have been made. Um, so maybe we'll see something more out of the Rays to add to the rotation. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's definitely, it's definitely a step back for them. But yeah, do we, uh, do we want to talk about hot? Is it Ha Song Kim? Yeah. Yeah. Ha Song Kim. Uh, a, a Korean a baseball on the left star. side of the infield, uh, we'll say, from the Korean baseball organization, uh, also went to the Padres today. Um, and you have you have more on, on uh, ha, ha Song Kim than than I do for sure. Yeah, so he was pretty legit last year and was just recently in general in the KBO. Uh, in 2020, he had 30 home runs and a 921 OPS. Really, I don't know. You have to wonder if it's going to convert or not, but you know that's okay. He also has a 142 weighted runs created plus over the last two seasons, uh, which is a pretty big deal. I mean, that's 42% above average, regardless of what league you're in. Uh, so that will probably translate nicely into the MLB. I mean, if if it's just a little worse and it's like 120, that's still more than acceptable. And one thing that really surprised me here, Chris, he's going into his age 25 season. He's young. Like normally oh, when, yeah. you know, the MLB brings in these like uh, J- Japanese or Korean imports, they're usually like between the ages of 27 and 30. Like I think Ichiro was 27 when he came over. This guy is young. Like he hasn't even hit his prime yet. You could argue. Uh, yeah. Um, traditionally, yeah. Like a guy like him, his prime would be, you know, around when he turns 27 um i mean in terms of and uh we have it in the prep sheet you know where does he fit in the lineup you know him being an infielder is it does pop off on the screen because you know we talked about they have a very good infield they've got hosmer cronenworth who you know was top three in the rookie of the year fernando tatis who was i think top five in the mvp voting and uh Manny Machado, who's top three in the MVP voting. So I'm thinking maybe, I don't know what his experience could be at second base and maybe be maybe a platoon guy with Cronenworth. And also if, you know, we don't know if the NL will have pitchers hitting or not, or if they'll have a DH, he could definitely be a a quality pinch hitter. um, Once the, uh, once the pitchers out of the game, if they, have pitchers hitting again so he does bat right-handed so it would make sense for him to platoon with Cronenworth because he's a lefty but but think about this Chris what if the Padres sent Cronenworth to the Cubs and got a got a got an asset from the Cubs to add to another spot on the roster that would be wild if they 
if they were able to pull that move off where it would make sense like Cronenworth has five years worth of control he just finished second in the rookie of the year you know the the Cubs need future pieces that's that's a good one like that could be a centerpiece and it's not a bad loss for the Padres if you can plug Kim in at Cronenworth's position yeah if they were able to sign or trade for Snell uh sign a second baseman and then ship off their second baseman for you Darvish who yeah you know a Cy Young runner-up last year that would be an absolutely insane yeah uh turn of events but you yeah, could probably um, the Padres have three top 100 prospects that aren't Mackenzie Gore if you really wanted to you could trade you Darvish uh for Cronenworth and one of those three and I think that would work yeah because it's the only thing is you'd probably have to assume some of his salary because Zu Darvish is getting paid uh, pretty handsomely. Uh, what was his deal that he signed before 2018? I believe he only has two years left of control, but still. Um, yeah, Yu Darvish. No, he has three years left of control. Never mind. Yeah, he's, he signed a six-year 60 years, 126 mil. mil. Okay. So you're going to pay him around 20 mil a year. Oh, well, at least that's his contract, but maybe you could split that. So, like, you could 50-50 split it with the Cubs – there, you know, where you're paying him 10 mil a year. That's still not a bad deal for San Diego. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if the Cubs would compromise that much. Maybe, maybe they'd give the Padres 5 million because he did just, uh, you know, it's not like David Price where he had like a semi decent year the year mm-hmm. before. You know, Darvish, you know, Cy Young runner up. Second in the Cy Young voting. Yeah. You're right. Uh, um, yeah. I mean, you could probably could split it like that. Uh, also, one of my favorite things ever, just in general, kind of off topic, but you Darvish uh, is the all-time leader in strikeouts per nine on baseball reference. Oh yeah. That always, that always changes. I know it was Chris Sale at some point, but so now, now it's you Darvish. You Darvish. 11.1. <laughs> yep. How the game changes. Um, just think about it. The all-time, there have been 150 years in baseball history. Nobody yeah. has more strikeouts per nine than you Darvish. Every day, every day when you Darvish steps on that mound, we're witnessing history. We are. An is all-time great. Is he going to raise that all-time strikeout per nine mark? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. there's really, if you look at his baseball reference page, there is a gold spot uh, over that. Yeah, it's wild. It is, it's truly wild. But yeah, um, <laughs> you know, he, I guess, yeah, you, now that you bring that up, if Cronenworth maybe gets dealt for you, Darvish, um, you, you fill that spot right in with, with Ha Song Kim. Uh, exactly. I mean, there aren't any reports right now I've, that I've seen of what exactly the deal is, how many years it is, what the, what the average annual value is. Uh, I'm going to assume it's like maybe two to three years. Right. Um, yeah. Maybe it's, maybe it's more than that. Cause he is young. Yeah. It seems safe. You know, if it, if it's longer, it's probably less, you know, it's probably less money, but yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't I've looked for reports I haven't seen any yeah it's hard it's hard with that but yeah I mean that could ultimately be the uh the plan there for San Diego but we'll see I mean any any updates so far on on you Darvish not that I've seen uh who's been I mean who would be on it like passing broke the snail news last night but I don't think uh he'd be bringing this one because I think it was Heyman said uh that like the talks are like, what did he say? Uh, Darvish. Okay. 
this is a quote from John Heyman on Twitter, uh, at John Heyman. Uh, Darvish deal to Padres appears close. Talks revolve around four for two. catcher Victor Caratini likely joining him to San Diego. Cubs trying to trying for some MLB experience in return, including needed pitching. So uh, I think one name that's been thrown around is Zach Davies. I believe that is one starting pitcher with experience that could be thrown around. Uh, which I mean, obviously, if that's the deal, that that does kind of trade the change the complexities of it because now you're adding you know you darvish and his personal catcher uh it's a package deal so you are going to need a little more than what i said but i think jay, jay cronenworth would be a good centerpiece to go along with zach davies yeah i mean if uh even if you get rid of davies if they were able to get lamet uh it would be lamet Dar- or maybe darvish lamet uh snell i mean that's and then clevenger and then clevenger in 2022 and then you're developing mackenzie gore who's been a top 10 prospect for a few an absolute machine of a rotation to go along with her with a really good lineup yeah uh if if this happens i would chalk the padres up for winning the division in the next three years for sure maybe two years but we'll see um, at least, at least one of these next three years, could chalk it up for the Padres if they can get a Darvish deal done. Uh, it would be incredible. But um, but yeah, uh, do we have any anything more on the uh, on the news of baseball? Pretty a lot of uh, implications happening uh, this past week. Surprisingly, uh, nothing that I can really think of. Well, it has come to our attention now. Uh, we've recorded, we started our podcast recording at around 7, ended around 8. It is currently 9.53 p.m. And you Darvish has just been dealt to the Padres. Him and Victor Caratini have been dealt to the Padres for uh, five prospects. Yeah. Uh, not not a lot of uh you know eye popping type guys but it sort of makes sense because darvish has um about 20 million a year to be paid still so in a way it's sort of like a free agent signing in a way it like the uh like if the padres signed him for 3 years 59 million but this is huge huge news Yeah, so you Darvish has just been dealt to the San Diego Padres, like Chris mentioned, with his personal catcher, Victor Caratini. Multiple sources reporting this. Uh, Bob Nightingale had it uh, a few, like a couple hours ago. It was that was, that was in the final stages, but now uh, Mark Feinstein, Jeff Passan, personal friend of the show, uh, and some others are reporting that it's official. Uh, Darvish is expected to go to the Cubs with Victor Caratini, or I'm sorry, to the Padres for. Caratini. Uh, Zach Davies will be going to the Cubs, which makes sense. Uh, the Cubs need starting pitching, especially if they're going to be giving away you Darvish. And Zach Davies is in a contract year. He's been all right, Chris. We've had some some talks about him. You've discussed his expected ERA a lot and how it's not exactly uh, similar to his actual ERA. But uh, more importantly, the four prospects here are outfielder Owen Cassie, shortstop Reggie Press. 
Preciado. Uh, outfielder Ismael Mena and uh, Yisan Santana, I believe. And uh, on MLB.com, they are the 11, 13, 15, and 16 prospects in the Padres system. A good system, by the way. And that's kind of what surprised me because this is a guy who was a Cy Young runner-up last year. Uh, since the second half of 2019, he is the fourth best F4 among pitchers uh, in the majors. He's only behind Jacob DeGrom, Shane Bieber, and Garrett Cole. So this is obviously legit. He also led the majors in FIP last season. So uh, I, I don't believe – are any of these people – I don't know if any of the prospects are top 100, um, or at least not on MLB.com. No, I because the Padres – I would guess do not have 11, uh, 11 prospects in the top 100. Not on MLB.com, maybe on a different site, but on MLB.com, none of them. Uh, point is, if you're going to not get a top 10 organizational guy for you, Darvish, the only explanation is that the Padres are, are assuming all of, or at least a ton of that contract that's, that's, uh, remaining because this is a salary dump in a pandemic for the Cubs. You know, we've been expecting for a while that salary dumps are going to be big um, during the pandemic with the financial losses and the Cubs, you know, Theo Epstein resigned this year and we kind of knew that they were going to be shifting their directions a little. And I think this is the biggest sign that they're looking to move on because I mean, one point that we made is that I, we don't think there's anyone on the Cubs currently that, really is going to have a career year in 2021. Like all the, all the guys on that roster, you look at them, they're all past their prime. Like Bryant may be better. I mean, Bryant's probably on the way out if Darvish is, but Bryant's probably not going to be able to replicate 2016 ever again. Rizzo's probably not going to be able to replicate 2016. Baez will probably be able to never replicate 2018. It's not, it's not really going uphill for anyone on this team. Anyway, if you're not going to get a top 10 prospect in one of the best farm systems in baseball for you, Darvish, this is a salary dump. Like the Padres gave up virtually nothing here. Uh, this is awesome for them <laughs> um, from their side of things. Uh, the only thing is, you know, they're going to have to pay some money, which is, you know what, it's all right. Yeah, it's basically, you know, I remember when, uh, when John Carlos Stanton got traded, uh, you know, the there wasn't really a, wasn't really much of a return because it was basically a free agent signing. This is basically a three-year, fifty-nine yeah. million dollar deal uh, for the pot for the uh, Padres, and you know they gave up some of their lesser-known prospects. I mean, I guess with those with those prospects, you know, we look at the ages uh, from Jeff Passan's tweet. Uh, there's an eighteen-year-old, seventeen-year-old, eighteen-year-old, twenty-year-old. So, yeah, these are future pieces. So, you know they may not be top 10 in the Padre system now, but you know, you never find like a 17 year old in a top 100 MLB. No, unless it's Wander Franco. Unless it's yeah. Unless it's Wander Franco. Who happens to be number one in the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, these are obviously very, very young uh, prospects and probably all four of them very well could be top 10 at one point uh, before they make it to the majors. But this is obviously the Cubs are not going to win this trade anytime soon. Uh, like we mentioned earlier, I believe with the Josh Bell trade. Um, yeah, this is not this, or maybe it was the, it was um, the Snell deal. It was the Snell deal. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the Padres—they're going to have a rotation of Snell, Darvish, and Lamette. That's three aces, and then you go to the 2022. 
and you add Clevenger. That's four aces in one rotation. Yeah, and then you and then you see how Mackenzie Gore works out. Exactly. That this is huge. Like they're going from who did they start? They started. Uh, yeah, Chris Paddock is like probably scratching his head right now, saying, "Where's my spot on this team right now?" I mean, obviously he's going to get Clevenger's spot next year, but Chris Chris Paddock has this year to prove himself. Yeah, this is a big year for him. Because I mean, I guess worst case scenario, they could just put him in the bullpen, but I don't think that's what Chris Paddock wants. Like that guy, that guy has a competitive edge. Like he has that type of personality. Uh, we've seen it all the time before. He's not going to want to give up that rotation spot. And it's a good problem for the Padres to have, honestly, because you have a lot of fallback options if he doesn't work out the way you want him to. Yeah. And uh, now I'm looking at the, <laughs> the Cubs rotation. Yeah. It's, it's pretty much rebuild mode. They got uh, Kyle Hendricks and uh, really that's, that's about the, it. The for... Cubs are going to, uh, with the addition of Zach Davies, they're going to have like the least amount of fastball velocity ever with Hendricks, Mills, Lester, Davies. Like they're not going to throw a single pitch above 90 miles an hour this year. I guess they did. Yeah, they did get uh, Davies in in there, but he doesn't throw that hard. Darvish yeah. does. I'm, yeah, I uh, I'm I was like, I was looking at the rotation. Actually, they don't even have Lester. They don't even have Lester. He's a free agent. Yeah, Lester that. is uh, is a free agent, but yeah, in terms of their rotation, it's like yeah, it's Hendricks, uh, Davies, Mills and, and Davies. Mills. Yeah. <laughs> That's not, I mean, yeah, that's not inspiring. Uh, the NL Central, nobody wants to win the NL Central, apparently. Yeah, that's true. And uh, nobody guess wants to win. Guess who's leading the league in ground ball percentage next year? It's probably the probably the Cubs. It's your uh, it's your north side of Chicago. I, I would hope it is. Um, you Darvish has always been one of the best at walk prevention. Uh, that was something I addressed early. Uh, last season when we did our predictions because I talked about his uh, strikeout rate and his walk rate. So I wonder where the Padres as a team ranked uh, in 2020 with with walks. Yeah, you Darvish also, by the way, I was looking earlier. If you don't know how good uh, he has been, so since July 12th of 2019, which is the beginning of the first half or the beginning of the second half of 2019, you uh, Darvish is fourth in F4 and ERA, yeah, uh, among all MLB pitchers, and he's second in FIP. And he's and he's I think he's even better in FIP too. Yeah, he's second in FIP behind Degrom. Yeah, uh, uh, the Padres had the fifth best walk rate. That's good to see. Um, yeah, you. The you Padres Darvish. had the fifth best walk rate in 2020. Uh, so the rich are getting richer there. Yeah, that's true. And yeah, you Darvish did that, uh, has, has been doing that since, and since the beginning of the second half in 2019, that's over 150 innings. So not that much of a small sample size. He's, he's been, he's figured it out. He had, you know, big time problems in 2018 and the beginning of 2019, but ever since then, it's been, uh, it's been a huge, nothing but success for him. And yeah, now he's pr- pretty much the ace of, of the pot. You know, it, him and him and Lamette are gonna duke it out for the uh, opening day spot. But yeah, let me ask you this: When do you think we are calling this the Padres division to lose? Um, like at what point? I'm I, like, I don't think we're going to be doing it before the season starts. But at what point in the season 
would you be able to confidently say that this is the Padres division to lose? Um, if they have a if they have a division lead above three uh, at the All Star break, I would guess it's theirs to lose. All right. Um, this probably means that they're out on Trevor Bauer. Yeah, because unless is- he unless he really sticks to his one year deal thing. Yeah, we. Yeah, like uh, this is ba- you know we addressed it like Darvish is basically a free agent signing if they're taking all the money there. And like, yeah, I mean, the Padres, you know, they're shout out to the Padres, by the way, they're spending their money for sure. Uh, getting another guy, um, getting another, you know, guy making like 20 million a year. Darvish yeah. is making about 20 million a year over the next three years. And then, you know, they signed Hosmer, they signed Machado. Uh, they're, uh, they're definitely in it to win it, and but yeah, Bauer seems it. It seems like a long shot for the, for the Padres if they wanted to do that. But you know, this um, was, you know, this it lined up better for the Padres to um, to get Darvish, and you know, I feel like between Darvish and Bauer right now, it's sort of a coin ooh. flip in terms of like who you want there. Hang on a second. Uh, you Darvish. Let me find. I need to find his Twitter. Um, he just sent out a tweet. How do How do you spell like his Twitter handle? Uh, it's like F A R I. Okay, I got it. I got it. So he just tweeted. It's in. It's in uh, Japanese. So obviously, okay. Trans. Okay. Anyway, the translation on this U Darvish tweet from eight minutes ago says information that seems to have confirmed my trade came out from a leading source, but my cell phone does not ring. What kind of system is it? Which that's that's probably a, a loose translation. That's probably not accurate, but is you Darvish has not gotten a phone call yet. That's that's pretty that's wild. That's wild. Um, I mean, you can't blame the media for that. Like the, your job, if you're Jed Hoyer, is to be like, "Hey, listen, man." I, I feel it's weird for me to say, "Listen, you." Um, you know, you're going to San Diego now. Like, I mean, obviously that's not necessarily how it goes down, but regardless, how do you, how do you not tell like his agent or like someone involved that he's being traded? Yeah. I don't know. That's uh, pretty crazy to think about, but <laughs> that's, <laughs> yeah, that's wild. But um, that's, oh, that's actually, that's so bad. Uh, yeah. Davies yeah. is in a contract year, like I mentioned. Chris, what did you say his expected ERA was? It was over five. I think it was five yeah. one. Yeah, and he's got one year left. Yeah, I mean, uh, he normally, when he was with the Brewers, uh, Davies was a guy who was like high threes ERA usually. Um, yep. For the most part, I wouldn't expect him to have an ERA around five, but I wouldn't expect him to have an ERA below three either, um, you know, long-term. Yeah, yeah, his career career ERA is 3.79 and 683 and a two, 683 and two-thirds innings pitched. That's a 114 ERA plus, which is 14% above league average. So, I mean, you're getting a quality middle of the rotation hmm. guy. More more uh, development on this this uh, phone thing. Kenta Maeda just responded to uh, Udarvis and said the same thing happened with him uh, when he was traded from the Dodgers to the Twins. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess he didn't. He didn't hear the call, and then you Darvish responded saying, "Yeah, like, like, what is this system?" Uh, yeah, wow, uh, that's interesting. That uh, anyway, Baseball Reference had projects Zach Davies to have a three seven eight ERA next year, twelve and ten record, uh, seven point six strikeouts per nine, three point one. One thing that should be noted is, is uh, yeah. he. His strikeouts per nine, career high in strikeouts per nine last year with 8.2. And that's in a short season. Yeah, it had never been before 7.4 before. So maybe the Padres worked with him on uh, being able to put guys away. Uh, But overall, like Davies isn't bad. I mean, he has a 114 ERA plus. Uh, Obviously, the expected ERA isn't great, but I still think, I mean – He's probably not a good expected ERA guy with his pitching style. Like he's not, he's a ground ball guy. Yeah. But I mean the, the, what I like about expected ERA is it does account for, you know, the uh, expected batting average and the, mm-hmm. you know, exit velocity and all, all that. Um, I'm trying to look at this whiff, whiff percentage. If it maybe went probably up. Probably isn't great. But I'm, I'm guessing it uh it has been better um it was better this year than most years uh 2020 it was 2020 had his he had his uh best whiff percentage since his rookie year where he barely even pitched so yeah 25.5% whiff percentage um MLB deleted their tweet about uh, the Padres getting Darvish because of his tweet. Wait, what? <laughs> what happened? The MLB, the MLB sent out a tweet with like jersey swaps of Snell and, and Darvish on the Padres. They deleted it because of you Darvish's tweet. Oh, that's true. That's true. Huh. Um. So uh, I, mean, I guess I was dead wrong on uh. I mean, obviously, I didn't know that this is the approach that they were taking with the salary, but this is much better for the Padres than than giving up Jake Cronenworth and a top 100 prospect. Yeah, that's true. And uh, I guess final thing I'll say on Zach Davies is um, the same thing kind of happened for Zach Davies in 2019 in terms of ERA versus expected ERA. And the rest of his career, it's kind of back and forth, but maybe it's a trend. I mean, even last year, like his hard hit percentage wasn't very high. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll have to look at the, uh, look at the tape because baseball savant is so good with that for, for Zach Davies. But right. I, if you just look at the, on the surface stats, I mean, I guess it could work out pretty well for the Cubs, but you know, he'll, he'll probably, his ERA will probably end up, in the mid to high threes, which I guess is good, but you know, you're giving up an ace. So the Padres have made three big moves in the last 24 hours. Yeah. It's nuts. It's wild. Yeah. You don't, you don't really, you don't really see that. Yeah. I mean, and AJ, not, I, you haven't seen this. I can't wait for the sequel of that press conference that they did in 2015 with like Justin Upton, Will Myers and Will Middlebrooks. And there was one more. Uh, well, Upton, Upton Myers, and what Matt Kemp? 
Yeah, no, was was that guy? I think Matt Kemp was separate. Oh, was it no? Maybe it was Kemp. Maybe it was Derek. I think it might have been Derek Norris actually. Huh. Uh, hang on a second. I have this. I have this picture pulled up. Yeah, uh, none of these were uh, like free agents that were already in Major League Baseball. It's yeah, no trades in a international. That was. I remember that day too. I remember that day. That was when. Uh, yeah, that was when Trey Turner got traded, which I mean that ended up working out for them anyway. Um, yeah, wow, what a what a group there. I believe right. I think that's Derek Norris. Well, anyway, that's uh, those are our thoughts on you, Darvish. Luckily, it didn't. Those happen. are our reactions. That was we were just finding out kind of about that almost live. Yeah, the the initial tweet was by uh, Mark Feinsand, right? So that was the one I sent you. Yeah, that was. At, I mean, Nightingale at, had it kind of first, but it wasn't like it was like close. That wasn't that wasn't official. Yeah, Feinsand. Uh, Heyman just tweeted. Heyman just tweeted, uh, Darvish deal agreed to pending medical physical or medical records could be finalized by tomorrow, but, uh, the trade is official. Yes. Uh, Feinstein sent that out 39 minutes ago and we, uh, we started recording about 20 minutes ago. So yeah, this is his gut. This is as big a gut reaction as you could get pretty much. Um, so yeah, there is. The U Darvish deal, um, and all our thoughts on it. And uh, now, where are we going to place this in the show? Um, I guess we're talking about Scott Rowland now. Maybe we'll see uh, how possibly. It I don't know. Maybe we already did. Possibly. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, I would. I would put it in after after we finish the Padre stuff. Yep. All right. So. Uh, anyway, on to Scott Rowland. But now we will get into uh, our bubble case of the week, which we've done uh, every week for the past five weeks. Uh, I think this is our sixth bubble case. We've done Bobby Abreu, Mark Burley, Todd Helton, uh, Andrew Jones, and Jeff Kent. Uh, this week we are doing Scott Rowland, who has the Highest wins above replacement, I think, of, of anyone we've talked about yes. on both uh, baseball reference and fan graphs. That is correct. It's hard not to just point out the wins above replacement. You know, I uh, I shamefully um, did not put him on my ballot last year because I just didn't look Ooh. at I didn't uh, look at the uh, I didn't look this deeply into the Hall of Fame and, and things of that nature. But now, you know, especially uh, quarantine helped that a lot where like uh, I was able to basically study the hall of fame and look at, look at all these bubble cases and bubble cases and be like, Oh yeah, this is this, these guys make a lot more sense now, now that I, now that I look at it. Do you remember exactly who you voted for last year? Yeah, I voted, I think I put only six guys on. I think it was, uh, it was uh, Bonds, Clemens, Schilling, put Sammy Sosa on. And then Jeter uh, Walker. uh, And Jeter Walker. Okay. Yeah, those were uh, cool. Because like when we when we reveal them, when I do my ballots, I I always keep track of who I'm adding, who I'm dropping from the previous year. 
So I'm glad you'll you'll get to do that as well. Yeah, I'll probably be adding four or five guys. Uh, yeah. We'll we'll see. You'll but, have a uh, Christmas tree of a ballot. Yes. Uh, I I added Scott Rowland to my ballot last year. Not that our ballots mean anything yet, but um, Scott Rowland is on my Hall of Fame ballot. Um, and we're gonna tell you why, or maybe why you should avoid him possibly. But we'll be but we'll be debunking the arguments as to why you shouldn't, because I do believe that Scott Rowland is a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's 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 not that much of a secret, and yeah, we. You know, we always, you know, have to be fair. We always put the case against the case for. Um, we'll we'll be making a case for Viscal at uh at some point. You know, we're we'll be doing Viscal for the last week, and we're not going to be talking about the off the field stuff yet, even though there's a very solid reason not to vote for him. But we'll get more into the on the field stuff. Well, we'll let that play out. Yeah, and whatever happens, um, happens. So Scott Rowland, we'll we'll show you where he's at with the actual voters who actually matter uh he was 10 point he got 10.2 percent of the vote in 2018 uh then he rose up to 17.2 percent in 2019 and then all the way up to 35.2 percent in 2020 and so far this year on 70 known ballots out of uh around 400 uh 55.7 percent uh making a big jump and i would expect him to be around possibly 50 percent this year maybe getting half the votes um which is uh good to see i think people are starting to realize what's going on including myself so when we look on the surface with with scott Rowland, uh he has 70.1 baseball reference wins above replacement uh 69.9 fan graphs wins above replacement and uh Baseball reference helps out with his stuff. His B-war is above average for a Hall of Fame third baseman. Uh, his peak war is 43.6. Uh, that is his best seven seasons, according to B-war combined, uh, into one number. And that is above average for a Hall of Fame third baseman. He, His career quadruple slash line is 281, 364, 490, 855, and his OPS plus is 122. His weighted runs created plus is also 122. And he did all that in 8,518 career plate appearances. Uh, he has 21.2 defensive wins above, wins above replacement, which is 45th all time, uh, top 50, which is very good for a guy that also was pretty above average offensively. And he had 180.3 defensive runs above average, uh, which is 56th all time. That's the, uh, the Fangraphs model for basically defensive value. Uh, and you know, also on the surface, uh, the count statistics: 2,077 hits for Scott Rowland, 316 home runs, 517 doubles, and 899 walks. Uh, he was the 1997 Rookie of the Year and a 2002 Silver Slugger Award winner. But he's not known for being the best with the bat, but he's known for being the best with the glove. Uh, Eight-time Gold Glove winner was Mr. Scott Rowland. And, you know, some some uh, players can make their case with the playoffs, you know, add, add their uh, playoff ability. Scott Rowland's kind of neutral or maybe even negative 
Uh, he hit 220 with a 678 OPS in 159 plate appearances in the playoffs. Although when it mattered most uh, in the 2006 World Series where the Cardinals won the World Series, he hit 421 with a 1213 OPS. So he was definitely a big part of that and uh, ended up being a World Series champion in 2006. So what do we take away from uh, what we see with the on-the-surface statistics? I mean, he was pretty much really good at everything. If anything, he could have been a little faster with stolen base statistics. But other than that, but he was at third base. You can't really expect that much. Uh, nothing, nothing that really jumps out as not Hall of Fame worthy. Uh, yeah, I mean, like I guess some of the count statistics could be a little, little upped. But uh, as far as his rate statistics, really good. Yeah, that is the tough thing. Is you know. We talked about uh, we did talk about uh, Andrew Jones uh, earlier with the bubble case. It's a combined effort, so he was not excellent. He was not you know excellent offensively, um, you know like a maybe Todd Helton, but he was very good offensively and he was very good defensively, and we think that ultimately kind of makes a great player. Um, and also, one thing I did see when uh when, when we did the on the surface stats and I actually looked at his, you know, slash line and OPS plus and his weighted runs created plus, uh, if you added 20, if you added, you know, 20 defensive wins above replacement and eight gold gloves to Jeff Kent's career, uh, that's Scott Rowland. So yes. it's Jeff, Scott Rowland is Jeff Kent with, you know, eight gold gloves and masterful defense. That was kind of the weakness we talked about with Jeff Kent last week was that his defense was just subpar. Yeah, just not not something you see not something not something you see out of a Hall of Fame second baseman who also is like, you know, Rogers Hornsby would be the exception who was, you know, had like a 170 OPS plus. Most of those most of those uh Hall of Fame second basemen are around like 120 just like Jeff Kent. They just were very good defensively as well. But anyway, back to Scott Rowland. Uh, some comparisons to Scott Rowland. Uh, here are a list of retired players with 68 to 72 B war in 7,500 to 9,500 plate appearances. Um, Scott Rowland lies at 70.1 B war and uh, around 8,500 plate appearances. Um, He's right smack dab in the middle pretty much. Yeah, smack dab in the middle, and it's important to note the plate appearances because, you know, getting 70 B-War and 8,500 plate appearances, you know, that's – he did that in a pretty short amount of time. It was pretty dominant. Uh, if he got – if you get 70 B-War in, like, 12,000 plate appearances, it's not as dominant a run, most likely. Um, but anyway, the list of players with that criteria, 68 to 72 B war in 7,500 to 9,500 plate appearances. So there's Bobby Gritch, who is a first ballot drop. Um, he's kind of a weird, weird Hall of Fame scenario with him. Combined effort type of guy like, uh, like Scott Rowland. Alan Trammell, who is a Hall of Famer. Barry Larkin, who is a Hall of Famer. Ron Santo, who is a Hall of Famer. Gary Carter, who is a Hall of Famer, Ed Delahanty, who is a Dead Ball Era Hall of Famer, uh, Kenny Lofton, who is a first ballot drop, uh, Edgar Martinez, who is a Hall of Famer, and Pee Wee Reese, who is a Hall of Famer. So it's mostly 
Hall of Fame type guys and guys who probably should have gotten more consideration for the Hall of Fame. Yeah, Kenny Lofton being a first ballot drop. Same with Bobby Gritch. Both both crimes. Both should not have happened. I know Bobby Grish wasn't exactly a name when he played. Kenny Lofton definitely was. Uh, but they deserve some more consideration for sure. And I'm glad that Roland is getting it. Yeah, Bobby, Bobby Grich, you know, was a uh, – he played in the 70s slash early 80s. And he was kind of like Roland, a, a combined effort type guy. Um, I just think he didn't get the recognition because he didn't play his offensive and era – so he, you know, he didn't get that like league adjusted statistics like Roland did. So maybe, maybe we'll get a second, second or third look at Bobby Gritch at some point in the future because um, that guy produced a lot of wins above replacement. So yeah. we'll get into the case against Scott Roland. Uh, he finished top 10 in OPS and OPS plus only once. So he wasn't, you know, necessarily dominant offensively, although he was, you know, his career statistics are, you know, we would say very good. 20% above average is very good, but uh, did not finish top 10 in OPS in OPS plus very often, only did it once. Uh, also, he finished top five in B-War and F-War uh, only once, and he finished top 10 in B-War only only four times. So you could argue that he was not the, uh, he was not, you know, in the, in the best of the best while he played. There's an argument to be had there. And he only finished top 10 in the MVP once kind of goes with that, uh, with that dialogue. Also Scott Rowland uh, did not have the most longevity. Uh, and this, you know, led to him not having, the greatest count statistics and you know he played 17 years which is good he did get injured in some of those years so you know not exactly the most longevity that's a you know a uh, a query you could have with the hall of fame case he was also not the marquee he was also not the marquee third baseman of his time uh chipper jones was that guy uh he wasn't not, not necessarily the the guy at his position at his time uh so that's a mark you could have against him and you know with the count statistics 2077 hits and 316 home runs are not traditional marks for a hall of fame position player uh but now we get into the case for scott Rowland. so you know, we've mentioned the wins above replacement or not, and it's worth it. His war and his peak war were both above average for Hall of Fame third baseman, not just regular baseman. Hot corner members who are already in the Hall of Fame, Scott Rowland is above average in war and peak war. So let's talk about that peak war for just a second. From 1998 to 2004, Rowland tra trailed only Barry Bonds and Alex Rodriguez in F war. So in essence, Rowland was the best clean player in all of baseball from 1998 to 2004. That's pretty impressive considering the era he was playing in, which I will be stretch too. Albeit I just I just, you know, eliminated a lot of people by saying he was the best clean player. Regardless, the, he had 11 seasons of 4 plus baseball reference war. There are nine other retired players with exactly 11 and all of them are Hall of Famers. So he is among elite company there. 
Also, there are five players in baseball history who have produced six seasons, at least six seasons, with 125 OPS plus and one D-War, as well as 50 walks. They are Mike Schmidt, Willie Mays, Hannes Wagner, Wade Boggs, and Scott Rowland. Those are four, no doubt, Hall of Famers and also Scott Rowland. Uh, to be a part of that company for sure. Also, Scott Rowland is the only player in the live ball era that is since 1920 with 2,000 plus hits, a 120 OPS plus, and 20 plus D war. And if you were to take the 2,000 hits out of that, he becomes one of five players in baseball history and the only one since 1952 with a 120 OPS plus and 20 plus D war. Only player since 1952 to have that. Also, his 2004 season is the only in baseball history with 20-plus home runs, a 400 OBP, and three D-War. And lastly, according to Fangraphs, he is the only third baseman in baseball history with an offensive rating above 250 and a defensive rating above 155. No one was that elite in both categories during their career at third. Yeah, it's crazy. It you know when we talk about him, it's like we're doing a, a history episode mm-hmm. here with all the uh, all the how about that's we have. It's uh it's pretty wild. And actually, one thing I would like to add in, I guess, the case for Scott Rowland is you know I will mention with you know a lot of these players like uh, Bobby Abreu was also a guy I talked about this with was you know it didn't finish you know top ten and wins above replacement very often didn't finish top five very often and i actually just looked at um stat head and and filtered so you can filter seasons by you know how many how many guys fit a certain criteria so you could see like what seasons had the most guys with 30 home runs so i uh, am looking at the seasons with the most uh most players with six plus wins above replacement um and the seasons with the most players with six plus wins above replacement, number one, 1998, which is when Roland's peak started. Uh, number two, 2001, uh, which is right in that peak, right in the middle of that peak for Scott Roland. And number three is 2000. So we've talked about how there were so many great players during that day. So it's hard to kind of talk about a guy finishing top five, top 10 because there were so many great players it's it's hard to um it's hard to put put it against like Scott Rowland for not finishing in the top 10 that often especially when you know this guy hasn't had any PED allegations against him the, a lot of the guys he played with did have PD, PED allegations against him so um you know I don't think it's that big of a deal that he didn't finish like top 10 in in B war and F war that often but yeah like, you know, in the case for him, you know, the combined effort of, of offense and defense, only only legends really have had that yeah. kind of effort. Like, you know, in this, you know, five players in baseball history with at least six seasons of 125 OPS plus or better and one plus defensive wins of a replacement and 50 plus walks. It's legends. Mike Schmidt, Willie Mays, Hannes Wagner, Wade Boggs, and then it's yeah, it's Scott Rowland. It's I know those three st- those three statistics that were listed there. Those are all different facets of the game. Like those three don't usually go together. Yeah, I mean, like the only 
Except for like OPS plus and walks, but yeah, other than that, that's not a direct correlation. Yeah, like the the offense and the defense, you don't see it. You don't see, you know, a combined effort like that that much. And I think that's, you know, the players like Roland are the are the guys that get screwed. Like there's a there's a lot of those guys where, you know, a combined, you know, they weren't necessarily excellent offensively and they weren't necessarily like a top 10 defender of all time you know even though scott Rowland was you know top 50 according to uh d war but you know it's combined effort guys that kind of get screwed in terms of the hall of fame voting like you know bobby gritch uh greg nettles is another guy uh willie randolph is another guy and like sal bondo is is in that mix but you know a guy who was, you know, we, we talked, a guy who got traction last year was Omar Vizquel, who was very bad offensively, but excellent uh, defensively, you know, top 10 in D war all time, I think. Yeah. But, you know, when you have a guy with a combined effort, like Scott Rowland, doesn't really seem to get noticed as much. It's very strange. Yeah. Like he wasn't, he wasn't particularly dominant in any particular facet, but he was just really good at everything, but not just not enough for it to be like, you know, a staple of recognition. Yeah. Like he, yeah. He never like was never like winning batting titles or was never, you know, in the home run chase. It was just a guy where, yeah, really good at everything. And I think ultimately that makes a great player and uh, a player that should be uh, in the hall of fame, you know, while we're uh. While we're reading this, while we're recording this, uh, Chris DeLuca of the Chicago Sun-Times just sent in his ballot and he voted for Scott Rowland. There we go. Shout out to Chris DeLuca. In fact, he added Scott Rowland. Oh, there we go. We love to see it. So that makes that that probably rises his percentage to like 56% right now. He's now he's now netted plus 11, uh, which is pretty good. Uh, it's I believe he was at a faster pace at this point last year, but I mean, it's, it's going to become harder to gain more votes once you have more, obviously. Uh, so the fact that he's had double-digit gains this mu- this early in the process, it's very encouraging for his case, especially since this is his fourth year on the ballot. So he's got plenty of time. Yeah, and this is the year where, you know, there's no slam dunk, you know, first ballot candidates. So I feel like a lot of the writers focus more on these, you know, bubble cases, these guys that don't get noticed as much like, Roland and Andrew Jones, uh, especially those are probably the top two guys we've talked about so far in terms of, you know, guys that were clean, uh, don't have any PED stuff going on, don't have any off the field stuff going on, but just aren't getting the recognition currently, but you know, they're getting better. They're getting better looks so far. Uh, so that's very good to see. Very good to see. Yeah. Shout out to Chris DeLuca, but, uh, uh Roland is now at 56.3%. Yeah, there we go. So, you know, this is his fourth ballot. Um, you know, I would, I would think he probably gets in maybe his seventh or eighth ballot or, you know, maybe even quicker than that. I don't know. I would say so. I mean, we don't have too many big this time first, first timers coming up. Like Carlos Beltran is the next one, but he might, he might be a, oh, actually, no, I guess A-Rod and Ortiz are the next one. Uh, but A-Rod might have the PED allegations. Ortiz might have that combined with the DH gate. 
Uh, and then Beltron might have the, the sign stealing investment. Carlos Beltron is going to be the first guy on the Hall of Fame ballot where we have to talk about the Astros sign stealing skill. Yeah, that's true. Because he was a guy that was personally affected. He lost his job as the Mets manager. Uh, he was he was brought up in some of the reports saying that it was his doing. He came up with it. And who knows what's actually true. Uh, I don't think there's any confirmation on if Beltron was really the guy or not. But it's probably going to affect his Hall of Fame case. Yeah. Uh, in fact, he's kind of similar with Windsor Rubber Placement to Scott Rowland. Yeah. And if, like, if he's, uh, you know, one of those guys that's kind of on the bubble, I could see a lot of people – you know, changing, changing their minds about him because of uh, what happened in 2017. Yeah. Uh, and I don't even know if he's like slam. I mean, I think he should be slam dunk, but be- being that he's similar to Roland, I don't know if he's going to be like, it might take him a few years just by nature. And then you, he's probably going to lose a lot of votes because of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah. It's, it is similar to Roland sort of in a way he just, Beltron had more longevity. He had like 400 home runs, 2000, you know, 2,700 hits. Um, he also like, he didn't personally gain anything from the sign stealing. Like look at his 2017 stats. It was one of the worst years he had. Albeit it was his last year in the majors, but obviously he, he didn't benefit too much from it. It, It's just his teammates may have, and it may have, you know, cost him a lot of integrity. Yeah, it's one of those things where, like, writers are going to debate, you know, I guess, like, um, it, it'll be similar to steroids in that, like, you know, Barry, we, we, we talk about, like, Barry Bonds would have been a Hall of Famer, steroids or no steroids, it's just like, um, you know, a lot of people think he compromised the game, which I guess wouldn't be true until 2005, in my yeah. eyes, because wasn't punishable till then but we'll get into that later but like his him compromising the game in 2017 with him being a part of you know the biggest cheating scandal in baseball history mm-hmm. it it might you know how big of a stain is it uh we'll see i mean you know guys are gonna vote for him guys are not are gonna not vote for him i don't think he's going to be first ballot because of oh, that no. Um, so yeah, we will, uh, we will see, we will see with, with Carlos Beltran. But, but the one interesting thing is that his first year, you know, Bonds and Clemens are going to be off the ballot. Sosa is going to be off the ballot. Schilling is going to be off the ballot, whether they're in the hall of fame or not, they're not going to be on the ballot. So there's a lot of space that could land a Carlos Beltran. Uh, but the one th- difference I'll make between Bonds case and Beltran's case is Barry Bonds clearly benefited from steroids. Like look at 2001 to 2004. You can't tell me that he would have done that clean. Uh, same with Roger Clemens. Uh, Carlos, as for Carlos Beltran, you know, he really wasn't good with the sign stealing thing. Yeah, yeah. The, the point I was making with like Bonds and Clemens is, mm-hmm. you know, before, like, even before they touched a needle, they were like, oh, no doubt. Yeah. Top, top players at their. I believe Barry Bonds had like 95 wins above replacement on fan graphs yeah, we uh, talked... by the time he started. Yeah, we talked about him in the uh, in the history episode before. Mm-hmm. I think ninety eight, ninety eight. He was yeah, because... top twenty five in F four career wise among positions. Something players. like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, like in terms of that, like if like Carlos Beltran 
with or without the one season of sign stealing, he's going to get, you know, the 400 home runs and the 2,700 hits, obviously, but it's like, uh, you know, writers are going to be just debating like the stain of, you know, him being involved in that scandal on the general game of baseball, you know, because it is, it's not, you know, the, it's not the best players, you know, it's not called like the, uh, what would it be called if it was just, if it was only the best players and not, you know, the hall of fame, like the hall of the hall of gods, the hall, the, it's the best, it's the best players club. It's the best, the best players, players club. club so yeah. like, you know, then, then bonds and Clemens would get in, but you know, a lot of people have a problem with like, you know, the steroids and, and stuff. They think it compromised the game a lot and even more so with the uh, cheating scandal. But I guess, I guess that's a conversation we'll definitely be having uh, heading into 2023, I believe. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, we uh, went on quite a bit of a tangent, but ultimately we will probably be adding, or well, you already have Roland on your ballot. Yeah, I will be I, adding, yes. I'll probably be adding Scott Roland onto my ballot. He'll be one of the eight, nine, or 10 spots. I, I am looking forward to our future bubble cases because there are guys I'm kind of hung up on, like Billy Wagner. I'm seeing like, is this guy going to be on my on my mock ballot like i would say so but i added him last year yeah like so i already know he's gonna be on mine i already know i'm voting for 10 this year like yeah i don't have hung up on who the 10th will be i don't have it quite um i don't have it quite done yet because i'm thinking of like sosa and sheffield where where they're at in my head um there's gonna be uh some interesting interesting things with that um, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to these future bubble cases. We've got, uh, I think we got four more bubble cases to go. Um, and, uh, one, uh, one of the episodes will be just going all, over all the guys with PED allegations and, and yeah. things of that nature. That would be Bonds, Clemens, Pettit, Ramirez, Sosa, Sheffield. Yep. So we're going to be talking about that, how, how each case is affected by, uh, by the PED allegations and, all that fun stuff. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, kind of the end of the show here. That's right. So we hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're listening on Apple po- Apple Podcasts or Spotify, want to watch us discuss these, uh, discuss these things, go to our YouTube channel and subscribe to our YouTube channel. It is called STBNL with Christianta and Daniel Curran, although that will change. Soon it will be a different, mm, under a different name. So if you're listening next week uh, if you're listening next week uh a week past december 28th 2020 it will be under a different name so go to uh, our go to our social media handles and we'll, you'll figure it out from there yeah go to our social media follow me on twitter at chris underscore gianta and follow daniel on twitter at daniel underscore curran you'll definitely know the title uh of the show and all that stuff from those sources also follow daniel on instagram at daniel underscore current and follow the show instagram currently at sqbnl podcast that will change as well uh but we hope you enjoyed our uh news breakdown our bubble case all that stuff and we hope to be seeing you for uh our history shows uh first with nolan ryan on thursday 
1998 Yankees on Friday, January 1st. We will see you next week.